Well, greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line. My name is James White, along with uh, Rich Pierre. Um, still, I, I can barely control his excitement with the Tour de France. I mean, uh, you know, I got up very early this morning, and I actually listened. Uh, for the first time, I listened to the tour while I rode outside. That's that's pretty cool, I'll have to admit. Um, the Tour de France is going on right now, and for us cyclists, that's like, the you know, like the three... Three weeks worth of Super Bowls, uh, whatever that is anymore. And um, but uh, I just kept hearing, even in the national coverage, uh, as as the cyclists are going by, people chanting "Riche Pierre, Riche Pierre" is really pretty pretty impressive. It really is to be that well known, just not where you live. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm sort of, it's, this is sort of like what, uh, what Summer and Joy do where they have to keep coming up with stuff at the beginning of each, of each show that they do. And it gets harder and harder and less believable and less believable, uh, with each passing program, but I've only just begun. So you never, you never know. I was, uh, distracted by a couple of things. First of all, my wife sent me a, uh, a uh, uh, graphic, uh, both in WhatsApp and on, uh, on, on text. And, uh, it says it's, it's the, um, elf, you know, the, um, what was this guy's name that did elf? Yeah. The comic guy, big tall guy anyway. Um, and he's smiling and he's wearing his elf suit and it says, so it's September. Can I put my tree up now? And, um, uh, Kelly had Pastor Jeff, maybe Pastor James. No, <laughs> it did get me thinking about the fact that uh, uh, I have been that close a bunch of times recently. Uh, I was going to put something on the Theology Matters micro blog, um, which, again, I just mentioned that to you. Uh, it, it, it very important to get RSS readers set up and get that type of thing going because uh, once social media decides to get rid of you, they just get rid of you. You you don't you don't get to have a second shot. They'll just they'll take you out. So um, have you seen the the Facebook alert that's gone out last night? Yeah, something about yeah, October first. A whole about. new set of rules. Basically, oh, we're going to start. Uh, approaching this with a liability kind of approach and we may just you know do uh, whatever we want to you yeah yeah well and they will uh facebook and twitter and and stuff like that will we'll all be gone before long and and i've been saying that for a long time and the numbers keep going up of the people who are gone <laughs> have, have uh, gone to other other places of necessity but anyways i've been thinking um about uh, doing some things on the microblog there. The uh, uh, I, I try to keep it to three, maybe four paragraphs. Keep it a little bit longer than parlay. I'm I'm shocked by the way when I do parlay, how fast one thousand characters goes. It's it's amazing. You you would think, you know, two hundred and eighty. Okay, but man, uh, one thousand isn't all that. That's only that's less than four times that. Anyway, I've been wanting to do a series on um, the incarnational series, uh, the incarnational season, I'm sorry. Because maybe, maybe, just maybe in 2020, we might be able to focus upon the reality of the incarnation more so than we ever have in the past, simply because... uh, 
I'm not going to be as busy buying stuff because I can't afford it. <laughs> it's just just the way it is. I mean, um, and, you know, the grandkids are going to have to appreciate a, far fewer presents under the tree, and we're going to have to invest them with a whole lot more meaning. Um, it might be a really good thing. It might be. We might, you know, and when you actually can get together as a family, instead of taking it for granted, uh, taking it as something that, well, I hope we can do this again in the future, um, that makes each event significantly more important and special and meaningful. Certainly something to be thinking about. I, I certainly have been thinking about it. Um, but yeah, so I, so I got that. So it's September. Can I put my tree up now? Now, I just want people to understand it would never, ever, ever cross my mind to do that. Um, my wife will tell you that the earliest we have ever put the tree up was the day after Thanksgiving. Okay, that's that's the absolutely earliest point in time that we would ever do something like that. But she's right about Pastor Jeff and other people at the church where yeah, I it's September and so I'm I'm fully expecting sometime this month to see the pictures start appearing uh because they're just some there's some really weird people uh that I don't know. I mean, cuz in Phoenix you have to be careful if you if you have an artificial tree, which you'd have to have an artificial tree to put up this time. Because I mean, it would be so dried out by by October, by, by Halloween, that it would be a massive fire hazard. Um, uh, yeah, just I suppose you could put a cactus up, but that's the whole point. In September, I mean, the heat this summer. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. National Weather Service put out a bunch of stuff, but just destroyed every possible heat record except for the highest recorded temperature. We only got to 118 this this summer, uh, just merely, because that's four degrees below the, the max. But every other record, um, days of 110 degrees and above, previous record 33, now 50, 50, 17 days more. That is absurd. That is not going to be broken anytime soon. I let's no hope way. not. <laughs> if that's 2021, man, I'm <laughs> time to move that. to the hills. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, days of 115 and above from seven to 12 now, um, and then the average temperature. Average temperature for the for June, July, August, new record. Average temperature in July, record. Average and August, which just finished, was the hottest month ever. Now, wait a minute. July, I can see. August? That means our monsoons stank. Uh, it was worthless. We got didn't get any cooling. Well, it, I'm right now, who cares? It's global warming, which which creates viruses, which I mean it's just 2020. But literally, uh, I think the summer-long average temperature thing went, the record went up by 1.6 degrees. I mean, you know, beating it by one-tenth. Okay, yeah. 1.6 is like kick in the face, man. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, the average, average for uh, uh, July was 98.9. I thought it was 99, but they, they may have adjusted it. 98.9. So that's your high and your low. 
and it was 99 for August. And um, that's just, yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, so you don't put trees up at this time of the year because the heat doesn't end till the end of October. So I don't remember when Barry was put up. The day after Halloween. Oh, okay. That's that's a month earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I get it. I get it. So, anyways, thanks for uh, t- uh, messing up the first eight minutes of the program there, dear. Um, I was also completely distracted by a uh, just posted. <laughs> Folks, if you it, you need to understand something, um, in socialist communist situations, you do not have equity and equality. You don't have it. They promise it, but it's a lie. Um, the elites, the people of power, make the rules for you, but the rules don't apply to them. So if you're going to be voting on the left uh, this year, I just want you to know you're, you're voting to have someone who lives thousands of miles away, maybe not even on the same continent, determine for you what clothes you're going to wear, um, what food you're going to eat, what music you're going to listen to, what movies you you even have access to, what books you have access to. Um, you're going to turn that over to bureaucrats, to elites, who do not have to live by the rules you have to live by. They don't get the same dietary limitations as far as available available foods and 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 music and and everything else no they they live by a different set of rules and so the the socialist panacea which is what the rioters storming through the streets are are think they can establish is always the exact opposite of what is what is being promised uh, just just look at china look at the social credit score look at what it means to have cameras looking at you everywhere you go with everything you buy and everything you do, everything you listen to, uh, everything you do online, monitored completely, no privacy, no freedom, no liberty, no ability to be unique, none. And I'm going to point that out here in a second. It's fascinating. I just saw this just before the program started. But back to the elites. The elites they don't care what rules they set for you. They will tell. They will sit there in front of the television camera and say, we need to do this for equity. And then they will walk away and do the exact opposite. They don't care. 25 minutes ago, Nancy Pelosi used shuttered San Francisco hair salon for blowout. Owner calls it slap in the face. And there's actually video footage of Nancy Pelosi Uh, And she has the run of the salon to herself uh, because it's closed. And you're not allowed to go in there because of coronavirus. And this, of course, is in her own district. And, of course, she's not wearing a face mask. Because the rules aren't for them. It's only for you. Because they know these rules are absurd. They know they don't do anything. They know this is all for show. That it's not accomplishing anything. The virus is going to virus. They're not doing anything that's going to slow it down. And so they don't care. They're just going to do what they do. They're just going to do what they do. So it's fascinating. Just before that, what I ran into was an article on um, Discern. 
which I highly recommend to you. Um, and this one's very fascinating. Brian Brammer uh, today, uh, barely an hour ago, a third of Americans say they will not get a coronavirus vaccine poll. A third of Americans say they would refuse to take a coronavirus vaccine, provide one is developed according to a new multinational survey. In an Ipsos survey of nearly 20,000 adults from 27 countries, conducted on behalf of, and folks, listen to this, the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum, folks, is behind a lot of what's going on right now. Um, what's going on in Australia, what's going on in South Africa, what's going on in Europe, what's going on here. World Economic Forum, these are the elites, these are the, the big money people, these are the Bill Gateses. Uh, the George Soros's the World Economic Forum is tied in with a lot of these folks, and they are they are the puppet masters. They're pulling the strings on this stuff. They were just waiting for a coronavirus type thing to happen, and as soon as it happened, boom, they they hit the button, and here we go. Um, so, thirty three percent of Americans polled said they somewhat agreed or strongly disagreed. With the statement, if a vaccine for COVID-19 were available, I would get it. The other two-thirds respondents said they somewhat agreed, 32%, or strongly agreed, 35% with the statement. I think there's a typo there. I think it's somewhat disagreed and strongly disagreed with the statement. Yeah, there, there's a typo there. Um, so 33% said, mm-mm. Um, 32% said, eh. And 35% said, oh, yeah. So it's... Uh, one-third, one-third, one-third split, basically, amongst Americans. The Ipsos polls are roughly in line with the previous polls conducted by Marist Group and Gallup, which discovered that 35% of Americans would not get a coronavirus vaccine. The poll also found that vaccine intent in the United States was lower than the average across the other 27 countries. And guess who had the lowest? Russia. Russia taking the lowest spot. And... I could guess as to why that is. I, I think I think Russians probably remember how many cosmonauts died in the Russian space program. Um, they I think they just inherently know that there is not nearly as much of a concern for safety and human life in Russian medical and scientific practice than there is here in the United States. I think they just understand that, and so I I get it. Um, interesting graph with showing these things, the, the breakdown here. Um, South Africa is down toward the bottom, too. In fact, uh, yeah, looking at this here. Okay, United States right toward the bottom. Lower than us is Germany, Italy. That's interesting. South Africa, France. There you go, Rich. Um, did they ask you? No, I didn't ask you? Okay. I thought you were sort of like the representative. Uh, Hungary, Poland, and Russia. So those are the bottom as far as uh, wanting or having desire to take this. But here, listen in, folks. Check this paragraph out. I just read this just before the program started. Vaccine intent. Let me... Yep. Look at that. Uh, just, I'm looking at the uh, graphic here. I'm going to have to try to remember Remember to look at this. Vaccine intent was highest in? This is easy. China. Where the global pandemic originated. Ready for this? 97% 
of Chinese respondents said they would get a vaccine if one were available. Now, why would that be? Because they already live under total control. If if, If Big Brother says do it, you do it. You want... Why would they do this? Because, remember, I've, I've described this before. You literally, as you go through the grocery store in communist China, have cameras following you using facial recognition. And all of these totalitarian governments are going to have to make a choice between uh, uh, the face diaper, the universal sign of submission, um, and facial recognition. Because it doesn't just work with eyes. It's, it's not enough. Um, you got to be able to see the face. But with facial recognition software, they watch what you buy. And they assign you a social credit score based upon what you buy. So if you are a mother and you buy diapers, that's good. If you buy one bottle of wine, sort of neutral. You buy three bottles of wine, negative. They control your behavior, your spending, your thinking, by this social credit score. You have no privacy. And you have no input as to what is good and what is evil. The state determines all this stuff. And everybody who's voting on the left, this is what you're voting for. This is what you want. And it's what you're going to get. And <laughs> trying to warn you ahead of time, but I I realize a lot of you just ain't going to be listening. And, and uh, I did see, by the way, before I finish this point, I... Someone sent me a screenshot from some reform Facebook group where uh, someone had said, you know, back in March, I was upset with what uh, James White and Jeff Durbin were posting and saying and doing. And I just thought, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve and this is what we should be doing. And we're now entering into September and we're still flattening the curve. And they were right. And I was like, well, Good. Uh, there, there are a lot of people that will never admit that in their entire life, but there are others that, like, like yeah, that's, that's the way it is. 97% of Chinese respondents said they would get a vaccine if one were available. Why? Because that would give them the highest social credit score. Because that's what they've been conditioned to do. Conditioned to do. And seeing how quickly... Um, man, people in Australia, I was, I was just watching a news thing this morning on the drones they're using to um, catch people who are outside without masks on. Um, and they're interviewing people and people, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't have any problem with it at all. And, da, 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 da. and I'm just, I'm just like, wow, you people just rolled over into complete it's like those puppies that wet themselves and roll over and just ah and that's it's like what happened uh i i don't know if the if the media there just presented this as if it's the plague and the zombie apocalypse rolled into one and alien body snatchers what could cause that level of panic to where people are just like take my freedom take my liberty put Put a screen in my house and watch everything I do. I like 1984. I think 1984 is great. Do it to me, too. You're just like, what on earth caused all this? 
American respondents cited four specific reasons why they would not get a coronavirus vaccine. 60% said, now, <laughs> when you add up the percentages, it's about 147%. So obviously you could come up with more than one reason, but uh, 60% said worried about potential side effects. In other words, this will be the fastest produced vaccine in the history of the United States, probably the history of the world. So what that means is they can talk all they want about all the testing they're doing, third-level testing right now, and all the. I hear you. What you're not going to be able to do is five- and ten-year studies. You're not going to be able to do it. It's not possible. And so what they're saying is, well, this is just a thing. It has a little spike on it. And it it mimics the, the, the coronavirus, and so it creates the antibodies, and, and then it's just flushed out of your system, and everything's cool, and everything. That's, that's nice. I'd like to, since I'm not, in, I'm not in any great danger from it, and neither is almost anybody else, which we'll get to in a moment, um, I'd like to make sure that that's the case. And maybe 10 years down the road, we'll think about it. I'm not a person who gets a flu vaccine anyways. I've gotten the flu once since I made sure to not be taking the flu vaccine. Uh, how how effective that is. And the only time I did was when I was working in a hospital and they forced me to do it. And they were always poking you with something. I was injecting you with something in the hospital. Um, but worried about potential side effects, 60%. Did not believe it'd be effective, 37 And that, that's because Fauci has even said that. Uh, said they were against vaccines in general, 20%. And felt they were not enough at risk, 19%. Was there something you were going to? No? Okay. Well, you, you, you brought it... Mm, that's good. All right. So with that in mind, please, 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 folks. It is very rare for me to have posted an article like I did on the main blog at AOMin.org yesterday. But I just felt like I had to do it. Uh, we're getting some biblical stuff. Don't worry. Some of you are going, ah, this is why I don't even think about it. Okay, we're going to get into some other stuff here in a little while. But please... Please listen to me. Over the weekend, starting, I think, Friday, this story started circulating around through my feed, primarily from people who, like me, are convinced that we have been had, we've been lied to, we've been deceived, we've been used, uh, who people like me believe that, you know, know, we sit back and we go, oh, okay, so the government gives you three times as much money for a COVID patient as for a non-COVID patient. And then if COVID patient dies, you get like 35 times the amount of money and you shut down uh, doing all sorts of other medical work. And so uh, that's going to have a real impact on the numbers that you report. And yeah, we've got video after video after video of people in various states and localities, officials staying there in front of reporters saying, as long as you test positive for COVID and you die of whatever, it'll be listed as a COVID death. Even if we can't demonstrate that it was actually the primary mechanism that brought about death. And so, yes, from people who, like me, believe that the numbers are uh, inflated, depending on how you want to put those numbers, I would estimate by about 20% uh, above the reality. But uh, people who are opposed to masking mandates recognize that masks don't accomplish anything, that they've got a 97% penetration rate, especially 
especially anymore. Have you noticed the longer these mandates go, the more lax the wearing gets? I, I just went through a, rest, a, a drive through at a restaurant because you can't go in. Um, and this is a restaurant where at first they're you know, mask, 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 mask. It still, still says can't come in without a mask. But even the person at the window had the mask around her chin. <laughs> okay. So uh, that, uh, you know, that might help those of us a beard to keep some, uh, you know, something falling out of your beard, I suppose, but that's not going to accomplish much as far as what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and that's natural. That's what's going to happen. People get sick and tired of not being able to breathe. And uh, so the, the mask discipline gets lesser and lesser and lesser. Despite that, the death numbers and case numbers continue to crash in Arizona because a virus is going to virus. And if you if you look at how the virus is behaving around the world, it's almost always the same. All the lockdowns, well, lockdown or not lockdown, the virus viruses, viruses, if we could turn that into a verb. So, so in other words, people who with whom we would have a great deal of agreement, even John MacArthur uh, ran with this story over the weekend. But here was the story. The story was CDC admits that 94% of all the COVID deaths actually had other uh, factors involved. Only 6% were due to COVID. So only 9,800, some people said just rounded up to 10,000. Really, only 10,000 people have died of COVID. And people are posting this and going... And the lockdowns, and the mass. I mean, here the CDC is now admitted we've been lied to all this time, and it 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 blew up. It was being shared everywhere, and and, and repeatedly in different forms. And John MacArthur repeated the numbers and and said this is the the, the reality of this thing. And and I'm I just finally had to go, folks, folks, please, please. No, you're setting yourselves up. You're, this isn't good. You, you don't understand what's been said. This is not news. This is no admission on the part of the CDC. You, you, you all just don't understand. So I wrote an article, um, put it up. I think some people are mad at me. Uh, oh, you've defected to the other side. No, I haven't. I've been talking about this since March. And I proved it. I When I wrote the article, I grabbed a screenshot. I went back into my screenshot thing, saves into my Dropbox. And so I just went back in and hit the date thing, organized by date, went back to March, and there it was. I had screenshotted uh, one of the first websites that I found back in March that was collecting data uh, about the virus from around the world. And this was during the Italian Upsurge. You know, the, Italy was the big story in March. Uh, everybody in Italy, everyone in Italy died three times in March. Uh, that That's basically what you were hearing on mainstream media. And so I posted it. You can go to AOMIN.org. It's it's right there. I posted the, the screenshot. It was from, I think, March 20th uh, of this year. And the problem here is a lot of folks do not understand how death numbers are reported and what a comorbidity factor is. 
the CDC said nothing new when it said that 94% of all coronavirus deaths have multiple comorbidity factors. This was known in March. I've talked about it. I've sat here in this chair. It might have been that chair, but one of these two chairs. Um, We've moved around a little bit uh, and talked about this very thing. And maybe I wasn't clear. Maybe it's just because this is, you know, I have a friend that says this is really technical stuff. I'm like, well, it's really not. But, um, you know, maybe it's all my fault for, for not being clear about it, at least those of you who listen to this program. But I've been talking about this long before this stuff hit. And a lot of people just misunderstand what's being said. In the vast majority of situations, when someone dies, you have comorbidity factors. You have more than one reason why this person died. And I say, well, nah, someone, it's, it's easy to tell why someone, no, no it's not. Um, for example, if someone has lung cancer, um, they will frequently have to receive some radiation therapy or chemotherapy. The drugs that you're given in chemotherapy or radiation therapy are poisons. They're literally poisons. And so you might have an underlying liver weakness that doesn't necessarily show up in the initial testing. And those drugs you take for the cancer trigger an adverse reaction in regards to your liver that kills you. Now, what did you die of? Well, you probably the death certificate will initially say liver failure, but it was liver failure brought on by lung cancer and the treatment of lung cancer. So was it the lung cancer? Was it the drugs? Was it the liver? Well, it was a combination of these things. And so many people have multiple factors and starting, it's been pretty consistent globally. It was interesting to look at the numbers from back in March, compare them with what the CDC is saying now in the United States. Fairly similar. Most of the people who die of COVID-19 have between two and three, CDC said, I think 2.6, two to three comorbidity factors. So that would include hypertension, morbid obesity, emphysema, there's all sorts of things that that place stress and strain upon the bodily system. The, the, the human body is an amazing thing. It is able to adjust to a tremendous amount of stress and all sorts of stuff like that. And if you if you just treat it well and give it some sleep and good food, it's amazing what the human body can do. It's fascinating. But you keep hitting it from different directions, and eventually it's only got so, so, so many resources to be able to respond. We know, for example, that COVID-19 loves to go after people who are morbidly obese. If, if you are well overweight, COVID-19 likes you and can take you out. So if you've got diabetes and you're 60 pounds overweight, that's two comor- comorbidity factors. Now, those two are related to one another. I mean, if you don't want to get diabetes, then you don't want to be overweight. Um, but 
that would be two comorbidity factors. And so you're in more danger from COVID-19 than a person who doesn't have diabetes and has their weight under control and is in the proper ranges. So what the CDC was saying is what everyone has said all along. And that is COVID-19 is not a solo killer very often. Um, We know that especially COVID-19 is an age killer. It's opportunistic. It, it has to have opportunity. There's almost no 20-year-olds without underlying uh, conditions have gotten COVID-19 and then dropped dead a week later. Uh, that's just next to impossible to have happen. The average age interestingly enough, in almost every population, has tracked with the average life expectancy age. So it's a little bit higher in Italy because they have a little bit higher life expectancy. A little bit lower here in the United States, 78. That's life expectancy for, for men. And so it's an opportunistic infection, which means it needs help. And we're the ones that sometimes provide it with the help because some of our comorbidity factors are just our own plain lack of discipline, just not being healthy, not doing what we need to do to work out and things like that. But it's not, it's, it's, it's not the plague. Um, It's not tuberculosis. It's not meningitis. Um, It's not AIDS. It is not that strong a killer. It needs help. And so you have that group of people that had one comorbidity factor. You've got that group of people that had two. And you've got that people three, four. And when you put that all together, 94% of people who are listed as COVID deaths had these other comorbidity factors. Now, do I think the numbers are probably even higher than that in the sense that, again, there was political and financial reasons to list COVID as the cause of death? Yeah, obviously. But the point is that identifying causes of death is not a simplistic little easy thing. And just as pneumonia, you know, so pneumonia has been known for generations as the old person's friend because you can be suffering horribly from lung cancer or emphysema or something along these lines, but not dying. And then pneumonia comes along, takes advantage of the weakened condition and mercifully takes you out. It's been known that's, it's been called that for forever. So if someone who has, been in palliative care in hospice um, for six months from lung cancer, gets pneumonia and dies, what killed them? What do you list? Well, obviously, the fundamental reason that they died was lung cancer, but that wasn't the thing that pushed them over the edge. COVID pushes people over the edge. With one, two, three comorbidity factors, 94% of the time. It's probably higher than that. 
Well, the the Italy numbers that was early on, hence smaller numbers, uh, was was one percent. Only one percent didn't have a comorbidity factor in the. But those are that was very early as preliminary. So you don't say that a disease only kills people when it is the only factor. And that's what my friends have been saying. It's only killed 10,000 people. That's not true. That's just not true. You're, you're using a methodology of determining the causes of death that nobody uses and nobody can use. And that's not what the CDC was saying. The CDC was not saying that the only real COVID deaths, 9,810 or whatever it was, 6%. They were saying that in those cases, as reported, no other comorbidity factor was reported. They're not even saying that there wasn't other comorbidity factors present. They just weren't reported. And there's a lot of stuff right now that's not being reported. That's it's a mess. Um, and we made it a mess, to be perfectly honest with you. That's just just the politis- the politics that have messed it all up. So I was sort of trying to post the link to my article to various folks and say, no, please, please don't run with this. It, it, that's not what it's saying. And we're going to set ourselves up for some really good articles saying, see, these people don't know what they're even talking about because they're running with this. And that's not what the CDC was saying. And, and and stuff like that. So um the there is no question that one of the biggest problems in all of this has been the fact that we don't think about mortality. We don't think about death numbers. We don't know how many people die per year in the United States. If you knew how many people died per hour in the United States, then you'd freak out. Uh, yes, exactly. Everybody'd be just rocking back and forth. What they did is they separated this virus out from all the rest of life. And that's, and and it was purposeful. It was up on the screen in red numbers, worldwide cases, worldwide deaths, United States cases, United States deaths. As far as I know, it's still, you can still get that on MSNBC and CNN all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just in your face. And that's why, you know, I was out this morning, um, like I said, I was listening to the Tour de France, and, and uh, as I was riding, did 100 kilometers, and took a beautiful picture of the sunrise. It was it was a really cool cloud formation. You know how the sun comes out, and it just uh, probably made a um, a few Tim LaHaye fans get really excited there for a second. But um, anyway, uh, and I more than once passed somebody on their bike wearing a mask. That is. That's insanity. It, it's actually bad for you. That's not good. I mean, unless you're trying to train for high altitude and you're specifically trying to restrict your oxygen intake so that your body responds by ha- producing more red blood cells. That is, that is a training technique. But what that means is you're stressing your body because you're not getting as much oxygen. There is no reason. That, no virologist with an iota of sense thinks that you're in danger riding your bike outside of catching coronavirus. There's something called viral load. There's something called period of exposure. uh, And all that has been ignored. 
so that we have panicked, 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 panicked people. And that's why, that's why I'm convinced we will never be rid of masks ever again, at least for travel. Maybe, maybe in public, maybe we'll finally be able to get rid of them. Maybe not. But for travel, I think, I think we're stuck. Because the logic that has been used to this point demands that you continue doing it forever. Even when COVID-19 isn't the issue, there'll always be something. Always be something. Because the logic, we've never treated a disease like we're treating COVID-19. Not once. Not H1N1, H2N2, H1N2. None of those. Swine flu, all the rest of that stuff. Those are some of the H things that I was just mentioning. We never, we've never done, we don't treat any of that in the way that we're treating this. And so once it runs its course and starts becoming one of the many influenzas that pop up each season, um, then you have to wear a mask to protect for the, for the greater good for everything. Because they can all kill as long as you have lots of comorbidity factors. So the logic we use to accept this is logic that's saying we should have been masked up for the past hundred years. We should have been masked up ever since the uh, 1918, right? Logically, that's what you should do. And that means we'll never stop. That means I ain't gonna be doing much traveling in an airplane ever again. Um, Because obviously, even if you have a medical reason, and I do actually, uh, no one cares. No one cares. Your life doesn't matter. Uh, the Karen cult is 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 all. Okay, I'm going to make sure I don't see any more tweets about um, Nancy Pelosi because that that would be that would be very very. Uh, yeah, yeah. Forty minutes in. Well, that's all right. That's okay. Huh? Yeah. Well, uh, I felt like. Well, I wrote that article and I wanted to explain it because. Because some people are literally sitting there going, oh, what are you doing? Join the other side? No. Oh, hey, I got a few shots on Facebook I had to deal with of, of just this dismissive stay in your lane kind of thing and, you know, stick with theology, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? We're allowed to have an opinion about things other than that. Well, you know? I, what I'd like to say is, would you like to, would you like to disprove what I said? Would you like to interact well, I don't with the think science? We're living in that world anymore, are we? Yeah, no, we're not in that <laughs> world anymore. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Um, so many things. Yes, I, my, I'm going to get a crick in my neck if I keep looking over to the left here. Uh, so many things that I want to get to um, outside of uh, that particular uh, subject, but I'm wondering, to be perfectly honest with you, what does the um, head of evangelism, the director of evangelism for Texas Baptists, really do. Um, the reason I ask is uh, we all know who the head of evangelism for Texas Baptists is. His name is Dr. Leighton Flowers. And evidently one of the most important things that Texas Baptists feel need to be done in evangelism in Texas is to constantly respond to anything that's said on this program about Reformed theology. That seems to be 
I'm not sure that most Texas Baptists would would actually think that that was why they were supporting this position. Um, but that given the hours and hours and hours and hours and multiple hours of video that is produced by the head of evangelism for Texas Baptists in response to anything that's said in this program in regards to Reformed theology, that must be one of the primary duties. And um, so I'm sure that all Texas Baptists would agree that that's, that's why they have that position. And I'm referring specifically to uh, something that was sent to me um, in regards to an interesting... Now, here's, here's the, the... On August 26th, uh, Soteriology 101, which we all know is Dr. Layton Flowers' uh, stuff, he posted a video from a Roman Catholic. Now, I'm not going to play it because this particular individual also seemingly exists solely to get attention uh, from this program. And I I just want to try to help this guy break his addiction and find something to do in life um, that will be fulfilling and satisfying and useful uh, rather than just repeating the same errors over and over and over again. Um, I call it video eisegesis. It's, it's what you do is uh, you... You do tight video edits and cut what people say up into tiny little bits and then throw it together in a way that makes it look like the other person doesn't know what they're talking about rather than dealing with the flow of their argument and stuff like that. That's what this person does. So anyways, the head of evangelism for Texas Baptists posted a segment from this Roman Catholic, less than two minutes, minute and a half maybe, actually now I think about it. and posted simply the comment, ouch. The only way I could interpret that was that the head of evangelism of Texas Baptist was saying, oh, this is really good. This is, this is a real refutation. So the first thing I was, that, that strikes me is the common cause that one finds between um, Roman Catholic synergists and provisionist synergists. And in fact, as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, I don't know, but if that Roman Catholic fellow is actually even semi-Orthodox, which I don't know whether he is or isn't, um, he would have a more accurate understanding of original sin than the provisionists do. When you think about it, you would have to, as far as historic Roman Catholic teaching goes. They don't, they don't deny the existence of original sin. I mean, you can't even understand why the Immaculate Conception became an issue uh, unless you understand Augustine and original sin and development over the centuries and all the discussions that went into it and everything else. So given the provisionists are pretty much not on board with all of that uh, to begin with, uh, it's strange that the Roman Catholic might be closer on those issues than 
the head of evangelism Texas Baptist. But anyway, uh, the comment was, ouch. And what it was was a confused, muddled um, argument, ignoring what it was that I was discussing in the one section, and then I was edited, connected with something else, and all this little snarky stuff. It's It's just all... It just reminds me of the kind of snarky video stuff that was popular a few years ago from teenagers and twenty early twenty something people. Um, that's next to impossible to respond to in any meaningful fashion by adults, anyways. So it, it really got me thinking about the dedication. Once again, just if, if you're if you're new to the program, let me just remind you. This was the issue of the Reformation. <laughs> um, Luther admitted it. Calvin admitted it. Um, oh, by, by the way, um, I still re- I still owe uh, Seth Dillon a response. Uh, some reason, Seth Dillon, the CEO of uh, Babylon B, decided to respond to something I had written like over a week ago uh, about Ephesians two eight and nine, and decided to claim that Calvin was on his side. <laughs> and I, it was funny when I was looking for something, I found an article that James Swan had written 15 years ago, 15 years ago, taking this entire argument apart because it had been used back then um, to try to say that Calvin didn't hold the positions that he very plainly did. Um, so I, I got the link to that, and and uh, I wonder if James Swan will even notice that the uptick in uh, in hits on a 15 year old article. Uh, but he done a really good job on it. Anyway, so I posted that, and I asked Seth. I said, "So were you actually quoting from Calvin, or are you quoting from secondary sources?" I haven't heard back yet. Okay, when I say I haven't heard back yet, I haven't seen a response yet. Um, I am underwhelmed with Twitter's ability to make sure that you see. That type of stuff. Sometimes you just get overwhelmed with stuff and you miss stuff, but I haven't seen a response yet. I'll have to go digging around a little bit more to see if I can if I can do so. Anyway, uh, we'll see if anything more comes out of that. But um, what it got me thinking about us was the the nature of the Reformation and how few there are who would on one hand view themselves as the sons or daughters of the Reformation, but who fundamentally disagree with what motivated the Reformers in the first place. And as we've pointed out before, Luther identified the freedom and bondage of the will as the central issue. He said to Erasmus in his written debate with Erasmus, You alone of all my opponents have touched upon the center, the hinge upon which it all turns. You haven't wearied me with stuff about papacy and all the rest of that stuff. He saw that those were side issues. The key issue is the nature of the will of man and the sovereignty of God's grace. That's that's Luther before 1525. Um, That's where his mind was. Um, I think I think the Peasants' Revolt had a big impact on at least his thinking on other subjects that I think eventually diminished the emphasis that he had in that 1525 earlier period 
on this particular subject, but not getting into that right now. Anyway, uh, this is fundamental and key. And that explains why a Roman Catholic and the head of evangelism of Southern Baptist of Texas um, would look at the same words of Jesus and come to the same conclusions. And that should say something to all of us. What, how can that happen? What, what brings that about? What brings that about? So what I'd like to do is, and, and don't, don't reach for the button. Back in the old radio days, don't, don't reach for the, don't, don't hit the, the auto button to the next station or flip the, flip the channels or whatever terms they, they, they used to use. We still use them, though they don't really have much meaning for us anymore in light of the internet and how things are done. But I want to uh, walk through a text of scripture. And by the way, um, I've noticed that the head of evangelism for Texas Baptists uh, has responded to my uh, challenge to walk through Gen- uh, Genesis, John 6, based upon the original language texts. And he finds it to be a, a, a silly, it's a silly thing. It's sort of, sort of a Monty Python silly type thing. Um, and he says, well, look, uh, I use notes and I can't memorize all that. And there's no reason to just stay in John 6. And there's no reason just to use the Greek text in New Testament and, and blah, 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 blah. And my response has been simple. Look, um, I'm willing to debate this subject. I'm willing to debate John 6. I have no confidence that the head of evangelism for Texas Baptists would actually debate John 6 in light of my past experience with same said individual. And therefore, if we, if we both sit down on a stage and this is what we have and we open it up and I know that he's younger than I am. And so therefore he will not have to do this. Um, but I do. Oh, wow. That's, that's actually readable all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> I do, but we open this up and, and uh, so, you know, we could use the, the Tyndale Greek new Testament. Um, I realize that his wouldn't look nearly as nice as my Jeffrey Rice rebind, but that's, you know, that's just a slight advantage that I get to have. It's, that's how it works. Um, but if we sit down like this and we stay in John chapter 6, then we can't run off to other subjects. We can't turn this into a second debate on the abilities of man, capacity of the will of man, whatever else. So that you can start doing allegory Jesus and analogesis. You actually have to provide a positive argument. And then we get into cross-examination. Instead of having pre-written questions on other subjects, it's like, okay, now, 
um, Dr. Flowers, could could we uh, look specifically at um, 639? In order that of all that he has given me, I lose none of it. Could you, could you comment um, on why he uses ha instead of has? Uh, and would you translate out to as it's as in the group, or would you personalize it? So you can, you can ask specific questions that probes the person's actual understanding, not of their theories, but of what the text actually says. That's the value of doing this kind of thing. Um, and then say, you know, then then Allah Anastaso Alta, I will raise it Alta, not Altone. Why 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 go with the neuter? These are relevant issues. The neuter is to wrap up all the elect as a group. It's what's been given by the Father to the Son. Um that's the kind of thing you can get into. And that's the kind of cross-examination that is valuable and worthwhile. And it keeps you from wandering off into all sorts of other topics that may be more comfortable, but aren't John six. But that was laughed off. That was, that was considered to be unreasonable and, and, and not worthwhile. And uh, so, so there you go. Um, but we did make that offer to the head of uh, evangelism for Texas Baptists, and uh, we'll see what comes of that. But what I thought we would do, especially in light of the content of the confused, muddled, muddled argumentation that Dr. Flowers felt was so compelling, to spend a little time in the part of John 6 that we don't spend a lot of time in. Have you, th- have you noticed this? It, it's well. Let me put that in reverse a second. We spend a lot of time in this section when dealing with other issues, but we don't spend a lot of time in this section when dealing with the subject of election. Have you noticed that? So, what do we focus in on? We start about verse thirty-five. We talk about eating, drinking, believing, coming but you are not believing, that becomes the context to then 637. Because it really, 637 is the first verse where we're focused in on it. And then we go 37 through 40, sort of skip lightly over 41 to 43, the Jewish reaction, and then we dig in at 44. John 644, I mean, wow, how many times have we covered that? And then at least here, we definitely deal with John 6.45 because John 6.45 is continuation of the thought, description of how the Father draws, things like that. Then what happens? Then everything disappears until 6.65, right? You, you jump to 6.65 because in a summary statement, John says that Jesus was saying, elegant, he, he, in the imperfect, he was doing this over and over again. He kept repeating that 
no one can come to me unless it's been given to him, granted to him by the Father. So we'll jump down there and we'll grab 665. But everything in between goes bye-bye. But it doesn't go bye-bye because we have to deal with it, but it's normally in another context. Why? Because this is the eat my flesh, drink my blood section. And so my thinking was, very plainly, because of 665, Jesus doesn't think he's changed topics. <laughs> he, he if, if in the summary statement that explains why the disciples walked away and said, this is a scleros, a hard saying. These are hard words. Who can, who can hear them? Well, what's that a response to? Jesus saying, has to be given to you of the Father. And they didn't like that, just like people don't like it today. Nothing, nothing new there. But since that's in 665, then what that means is what's between 46 and 64 is not just some completely different topic. And that's also important because the fact that Roman Catholics think that this is a Eucharistic narrative. Most of the Orthodox think the same thing. And let's just be honest. Um, most evangelicals just don't know what in the world Jesus is talking about. They just, they just, they just don't. Uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Um, I've heard somebody talk about this before. And, but, you know. And so let's see how it's consistent. Let, let's see how it all hangs together. Sound like, sound like a plan for the rest of the program today? Uh, let's just walk through this together. Grab your Bible. You know what? I this this Tyndale Greek New Testament is so cool, and I you know I leave it here in the in the studio, so I don't get to use it very often. Um, but it's really really neat. And the th- thing I like about the printing is that it's it's put in paragraph form, and they wanted to make it like it was like you're reading from an ancient manuscript. Uh, well, without unsealed text, <laughs> which wouldn't bother me, but would bother most folks. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to use this. Um, you weren't, I wasn't going to pop it up anyway, so don't worry about it. So, um, so let, let this, uh, this places in a paragraph verses 43 to 46. So verse 44 is right in the middle of a paragraph. So you, you'd want to see how a paragraph hangs together, right? So Jesus answered and said to them, May gongudzete met alelon. <laughs> Do not gungasmu amongst yourselves. <laughs> it's still, look, if you listen to this program for almost any time at all, apple cider to everybody. Oh, that stuff's good. I wonder if it's going to taste as good when it's cold outside, because when it's hot, it's really great. Um, If you've listened to this program for any time at all, you should have at least one good Greek vocabulary word down by now. Gungusmu. And if you're a parent, and you don't turn around and say to your kids in the back of the car, no gungusmooing back there, I don't know why I'm sitting here. What, what What is my life even worth? 
I'm trying to help you. Gungasmu is one of the, is a gift of grace. That's just that's just be honest. It's, it's beautiful. Anyways, Jesus Anderson said to them, "Don't Gungasmu amongst yourselves. Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one is able to come to me unless the Father, the one who sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day." Very briefly, we spent hours on this, so I'm not going to reiterate everything, but just just to remind you. What is no one able to do? Elthine pros M.A. Elthine is the infinitival form of Erkamai. And notice up in verse 35, um, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, ha erkamenos pros M.A. The one coming to me will never hunger. The one believing me will never thirst. Now, Elthine is the infinitival form of Erkamai. Erkamai is an old verb, and therefore it does lots of shifting around in its forms. And so sometimes someone looks at Elfine, and they don't see how that's related to Erkamai. They're the same word. Just aorist, infinitival forms, and so on and so forth. Um, so there's my point is there's a connection in the language that he's using, at least in the original language. So no one is able to come to me, though Jesus has been describing the one, the one coming to me, hunger, thirst, given by the Father, you will come to me. Uh, so on and so forth. So no one is able to come to me unless the Father sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Kago, Anastaso, is connective, not disjunctive. Therefore, you cannot argue that the two autons are to be separated. Uh, so the one who's drawn by the Father is raised up by the Son. They are coextensive. If that is true, synergism is false. That's why they have to create a disjunctive here. They have to break this up and say that the father can invite people to the birthday party, but they don't have to come. Okay? Um, and I'll raise him up on the last day, raise him up on the last day, receiving eternal life. It, has, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Now, it's we need to understand what's being emphasized here is when we are taught, we are being taught by someone else. The action is in the concept of teaching where you have a teacher and then the students are the passive recipients of knowledge. So God's the one acting here. They shall all be taught of God. This is explaining the drawing. This is how God does this. They shall all be taught of God. Well, that's interesting. Who's the all? Given by the Father and the Son. This is the elect. There's a beautiful consistency here, if you'll allow it to exist. All of the elect, taught by God. Everyone hearing from the Father. This is, again... I, I keep using this illustration. I'm, I'm not... I just get the feeling that it's not nearly as meaningful to other folks. Maybe it's just me. But especially in John, these it, it there are these themes and these illustrations and these concepts that will be 
front and center in one chapter, and then you'll get a part of it in the next chapter that's then joined with something that was in the chapter before the last chapter. And now they're brought together. So what about hearing? Seeing. So in John 8, why don't you hear my words? Akuai. Because you don't belong to God. In John chapter 9, blind man. Though seeing, they don't understand. So, so here you have uh, the one hearing from the Father. That's what drawing would be. But it's specifically the elect who are being drawn and who are hearing from the Father. So it's, it's an effective hearing. They actually hear. All through John, you have people who are hearing Jesus speaking. doesn't avail anything to them. They don't, they don't hear, even though they hear. So when hearing from the Father and learning, so there is an acceptance, there is a taking in. And again, this is the elect to do this. This is, the, this is the result of the grace of God within them. This isn't, well, everyone receives this, but it's the choice meets that hear and learn. It's the exact opposite of Jesus' point. Are coming to me. So it, just look at the phrase, erkatai pros eme. Erkatai, erkamanos, elthine. Follow it through John 6. And you'll get repetitive descriptions of who it is that's coming to the sun. And it's not choice meets. Coming to me. Um, uh, because a verse, uh, where am I now? 40. Uh, yeah, the number is uh, 46. I don't remember where in the world I went. Um, because no one has seen the Father except the one who is paratutheyu, from the Father, this one has seen the Father. Now, it's, I was thinking about this, because why is this here? How does this function? How does this, how does this flow from the rest of the text? And when you think about it, you have everyone hearing and learning from the Father comes to me. But you need to understand, no one that that could communicate the idea of a revelation of divine truth outside of the sun. And so the balance is brought back in, just like you had in John chapter 5, where you have the, just the constant emphasis upon balance, 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 balance. No one has seen the Father except the one who is paratutheyu, from God. That one has seen the Father. And so the exclusive role of Jesus as the only avenue. So, you, so you've, got, you've got it going back and forth. Um, all the Father gives me will come to me. Um... No one can come to me as far as him draws him. I'll raise him up on the last day. And yet, the, the revelation 
is through the sun. Exclusively through the sun. You can't go around and say he's not necessary or he's ancillary or he's, you know, that might be the best way to go, but there are other ways of doing it. These were all issues that the early church had to struggle with. Then uh, this breaks 47 through 50 into a paragraph. Truly, truly, I say to you, and by the way, those almost always when it says I say to you, that's plural. Not always, but almost always, and it's plural here. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one believing has eternal life. I'm sure there are some manuscripts. Uh, yep, there are some manuscripts that say believe in me. Um, this particular, uh, the Tyndale House has the one believing has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And so this sounds almost repetitive because he's already talked about being the bread of life and coming to him and believing. But notice this ties us, 47, 48 ties us back to 35. So the one, I am the bread of life. Repeated, 35, to 48, identical to one another. The one coming to me, not thirst, so on and so forth. So it's almost like Jesus had been getting to the central element of his centrality and then had to take a detour, an excursus, about the sovereignty of God in drawing a particular people to understand this, and now he's returning back to the centrality of who he is as the bread of life and the one believing has eternal life. Because now he's going to go back to the bread concept and back to the Old Testament elements Regarding the supper, the, well, regarding the food that was provided, not the supper. Please excuse that, because that's going to be one of the issues here. Um, I am the bread of life. So going back to what he had done the day before, because remember, how does John chapter 6 start? Feeding the 5,000. That's the supper I was referring to. The supper the evening before. How did that bread come about? What was it meant to point to? Um, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and died. That was super, certainly supernatural bread. And what Jesus has done, had done was supernatural as well. So the mere observance of a miraculous sign, the mere participation in a Being close to a miracle doesn't save your soul. Being close to a miracle doesn't save your soul. It's interesting, I preached on the perseverance of the saints um, Sunday night at Apologia. Almost every question after the service, to the point where they're turning the lights out to get us, get moving. um, Almost every question after the service was on Hebrews chapter 6. I had mentioned in passing, 
the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6, never the end of Hebrews chapter 6, which is one of the most security-teaching passages in all the Bible. I mean, if, if, if you want a reason for hope, look at the end of Hebrews chapter 6. Jesus, our foreigner, has gone into the holy place. He is an anchor for the soul. An anchor, sure and steadfast, cannot be moved. As long as you are in him, there you go. Question is, is it up to you to stay in him? Sinner just says yes. Monarch just says that's his glory, glorifying power to, to save those that are given to him. Very different thing. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, your fathers ate the, uh, the bread in the wilderness and they died. So just like in, in Hebrews chapter 6, there were people who were in the congregation. They could see the moving of the Spirit. They experienced the supernatural powers of the age to come. And yet they apostatized. They offered sacrifice and trampled underfoot the name, the, the, the blood of the Son of God. So just being near a miracle is not what saves you. The fathers ate the miracle bread, died in the wilderness, never entered into the, in the, in the land of promise. This is the bread which came down from heaven in order that from it you might eat and not die. So the manna was a picture of something that was to come. The manna was a picture of Jesus. So Jesus is now getting to an explanation of what he did the day before, which is what the people were asking for in the first place. Give us this bread forevermore. Well, everything up to this point is, point, is, is telling us he's now talking to those who he's already said, you're not believers. Those the Father gives me, they'll come to me. And if you, are, if, if you stumble at my self-revelation, and they are going to stumble at his self-revelation, then you're demonstrating you're just like your fathers in the wilderness who saw all the miraculous power of God, but didn't do anything for him. Didn't change anything. So this one, Jesus, is the bread which came down out of heaven in order that anyone who eats of it may not die. Next paragraph, uh, just verse 51. Ego aimi ha'artas hazon. I am the living bread. So ego aimi can be used in John as simply strong self-identification. No one, no one disputes that. It's when it's predicate lists that it becomes a divine title, which it does a number of times, John. I am the bread, the living bread, the so let me let me give you just the the stuttering translation, okay? I myself am the bread, the living, the out of heaven having come down. So there's the descriptions. So I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And the bread which I am giving, which I will, no, which I am giving, 
is my flesh huper taste to kosmuzoes. Huper in behalf of the life of the world. But it's an interesting formation uh, because it's taste to kosmuzoes. So taste and zoes go together. So it's the that, that you'd you would not ex, you'd, you'd expect it to be taste zoes to kosmuz. But it's it's not. I bet you. I'll bet uh, fifty one. Uh, yep. <laughs> I hadn't looked at this, but well, no, no. I thought there are some variants in fifty one, but I thought there'd be a variant that would that would change the word order at the end, and I'm not seeing it. Just glancing at it, but the font's really small, so I could be missing it. Um. This does have some textual variants in it, but not nearly as many as what I would have uh, in my program. So, he is the living bread that's come out of heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, him, they will live forever. And the bread which I am giving is my flesh given for to Kasumu, the world. Now, given that there's already deep particularity in this text, then you would be looking for the meaning of Cosmo to be defined by John. John uses Cosmo in at least 10 to 14 different ways in uh, between the, his gospel and his epistles. Um, so the, the Jews, <laughs> they're, they're not really, they're not really into this kind of, uh, th- this, this is sounding very strange to them. And so, I'm not sure how this works, but they're arguing amongst themselves. So, does Jesus stop teaching? Or do they stop listening and start arguing amongst themselves? Have you ever stopped to think about how, how, this, how did this work out? Does Jesus go on to give further illustrations? They stop listening and start arguing amongst themselves? I don't know, we're not told. Therefore, the Jews start arguing amongst themselves, saying... How is this one able to give us his flesh to eat? Therefore, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, eat and drink. Does this come beforehand? Yeah, back in 35. And... What is it defined as there? The one coming to me, believing in me. So coming and believing in Jesus is how you eat and drink his flesh. See how this is important in other areas? The literal meaning is not some treatise on transubstantiation. But it is a treatise on the centrality of Jesus. If you want to have eternal life, you have to eat this flesh, eat this flesh, the Son of Man. Just a few moments earlier, Jesus was saying, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day." So it's all about Jesus. He's the one raising up. He's the one that we have to be looking to. And now it's now the whole illustration here is the manna. God gave us the bread. Interesting. What would happen? Understand that it's coming along the way of Jesus. 
that the Jews did. Yeah. I thought I thought you said that you did, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Rich was saying it's funny that the that the Roman Catholics misunderstand Jesus in the same way that the Jews did. Yeah, they do. They take these as fleshly words, just like the Jews did. Um, they they miss it. They miss the point. That's that's correct. Um, so truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone eats the flesh of the Son of Man and drinks his blood, they you you do not have life in yourselves and it can be amongst yourselves but probably here given hey how toys it's it's within you as as an individual within the group the one chewing my flesh and drinking my blood now again people like bobs and jenis put huge amounts of emphasis upon hot trogon here um, rather than uh, fagate, uh, which is used elsewhere uh, to eat because trogon can refer to chewing upon as if there's some huge difference between that and, and fago. The one eating my flesh and drinking my blood has eternal life. And now please notice something. Kai, Kago Anastasia Otan Te Escate Hemera. Exactly the same words. Exactly the same words as the end of verse 44. Yep. Kago Anastasia Otan Te Escate Hemera. Yep. Identical. Now, when you repeat the exact same phrase in the same discourse, then we have to stop and go, okay, what are you trying to communicate here? What are you trying to say? Because anyone's going to notice this. And so, and I will raise him on the last day, the one eating my flesh and drinking my blood has eternal life. So whatever the drawing of the Father is, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You combine that with what came earlier. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one coming to me I will never cast out. Right? I've come down of heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. If all he give me, I lose nothing. Raise him up on the last day. Raise him up on the last day. Who keeps doing the raising up on the last day? Jesus does. He is not an add-on. He's not an ancillary thing. This is always about the centrality of Jesus in the will of of the Father. And so here we have another beautiful description. The one eating my flesh and drinking my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. But Jesus doesn't get to this until he's already emphasized not only the unbelief of the people to whom he's speaking, but the centrality of the Father's right to give to the Son and the necessity of the drawing of the Father to the Son. 
this all makes sense in light of give us this bread. Well, you want to know what this bread is? It's the flesh, my flesh, being given for the world, and this is going to be the only way of salvation. There's going to be no other way. Now transport yourself into the time period after the resurrection, before the destruction of Jerusalem. What are going to be the key apologetic issues at this point in time in the church? Well, you can tell it from reading the book of Hebrews. But one of the key questions is going to be, well, aren't the old ways good enough? Not if the Father has given testimony to the Son. Not if the Father has now told you what the living bread is. If the Father has sent the manna from heaven and you refuse to eat, how can you say you'll have eternal life? How can you say there's another way of having eternal life? Words make perfect sense. The one eating my flesh and drinking my blood. You want to know what it means to come to Christ? Find all your spiritual nourishment in him alone. He's already defined what this means. Remember? Verse 35. I am the bread of life, or I am the living bread, is a perfectly fine way of rendering the Greek as well. The one coming to me will not hunger. The one believing in me will never thirst. Hunger and thirst. How are they satisfied? Coming and believing. Coming and believing. So, to come and believe in Jesus is to find him to be your only spiritual nourishment. You don't look to anything else. Absolute Christian exclusivity. Much to the chagrin of many people today. The one truly doing that, and by the way, Trogon is the present participle, just as Hapistuon, Hapistuon, John is emphasizing over against the aorist. This is, and look, there, there's been an appropriate evaluation of aorists and presence in New Testament Greek over the past 30 years, but that doesn't change the fact of John's constant contextual usage where he emphasizes the present participle as indicative of true belief. And so it's not the one who takes a bite once. It is the one feeding on his flesh and drinking, pinon, present participle, my blood, finding in him my entire righteousness, my entire source of life. Not an add-on, not an ancillary, the real thing. For my flesh is truly food, is true food, and my blood is true drink. True. The real thing. Not a mere image or shadow. The one eating my flesh and drinking my blood abides in me, and I in him. So what's what's this? It, it really is clear to me that John constructs the narrative so that we are purposely supposed to see these hooks that hold the whole thing together. So what's what's that verse preparing us for? Abiding in me. 
vine the branches. John 15, once he once you get the disciples alone and you start talking to disciples alone to believers and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how is it that Christ abides in us by his spirit? How do we abide in him? So this is true union of the elect with their savior looking solely to his flesh and his blood for their spiritual nourishment. Um, that is the one abiding in me and I in him. So I hope what you're seeing in all this, and we're, we're almost done. I, I know I've gone long, but um, anyway, I, I hope what you're seeing here is that by going past where we normally go, we're filling out the necessary spiritual application of the theological realities of the preceding part of John chapter 6. It's important to recognize that it's the Father that has to draw, that man does not have the capacity, that, that God's drawing is effective, and, and that it, but it involves something. It involves the communication of spiritual truth. It involves the opening of the eyes to the nature of Jesus. This all requires a changed heart. This requires the taking out of the heart of stone, the giving heart of the flesh. This requires regeneration. This is what regeneration involves. So it's not enough to just do the first part without recognizing that the text itself gives us such a deep and incredible description of what this means. So, um, just as the living father... Wow. (laughs) No, that wasn't thunder, but it was uh, enough to startle me uh, right outside the window um no there isn't any don't worry that that there, there there's there's no rioting going on here anyways uh probably more like dodgeball than anything else um <laughs> for just as the living father sent me and i live diaton patera because of uh the father also so in the same way the one eating me, that one will live through me. So he uses ha trogon, which is what he's using in, in, in 54 and 56. And he connects the promise of life for the one coming to him, because that's what this eating him is, is coming to him, constant looking to Christ and Christ alone for spiritual nourishment. He connects the reality of the promise of God that we will live with the reality of the nature of the relationship of the Father and the Son. That's how intimate and indestructible, intimate and indestructible would be the terms I would use to describe that relationship. That's astonishing. That's astonishing. Most of us say that's that's just inappropriate. Well, not according to the scriptures. This is the blood. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as your fathers ate and died. Not as the fathers ate and died. The one eating this bread, his flesh, will live forever. So he emphasizes the contrast. 
One's a symbol, one's a fulfillment. Don't be like the fathers who ate only the symbol and died. They didn't enter in. Now, these things he said while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. I feel a little twinge saying that because in just a matter of weeks, we were supposed to be in the synagogue in Capernaum um, talking about these things, but Lord willing, in the future, maybe. Um, Then, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard these things, they, many of his disciples said, Skleros estin halagos hutas. Skleros. You've heard of atherosclerosis? Skleros, hard. Hard. This, this word is hard. This teaching is hard. Tis dunatai autu akuan. Who is able to hear it? Who is able to embrace it? Who is able to, to accept it? These are hard sayings. Now, Jesus, knowing in himself that they were gungus mooing again, <laughs> it's a lot of, a lot of gungus mooing going on. There, there, there were gungus mooing concerning this. His disciples. He said to them, "Does this scandalize you, scandalizai? Does this cause you to stumble?" Therefore, what if you see the Son of Man ascending up to where he was before? Now, this gives us a a bit of a hint. What would that, how's that related to anything? It would, what if you could see the glory that Jesus had before? Then, if, if you're scandalized by his emphasizing his centrality in God's plan of salvation, the exclusivity of that role. Man, what if you saw him in his pre-incarnate glory? What if you saw him ascending back to where he was before? You'd really be scandalized then to realize who it is you're standing before. Um, the spirit is the one giving life. The flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you Numa estin kaizoe estin. They're spirit and they're life. So, yes, he has spoken spiritual living words that they're going to walk away from. Because it's the spirit that gives life. And didn't John 3 say the spirit blows where he wishes? Didn't John 3 talk about what the nature of regeneration was? But it requires the spirit's work. But, and sadly, 64 takes us back to, what was it, uh, 30, uh, yeah, 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, and you are not believing. So 64, um, but there are certain of you, not believing. Yeah, you rode across the lake. Yeah, you've listened to a lengthy discourse. That ain't enough. You're not believing. For Jesus knew from the beginning who it was. Hoi me pistuantes, the non-believers, 
and who would betray him? The and who the betrayer of him was. Very important because this is Judas's role prophetically fulfilled becomes an evidence of who Jesus is in John chapter 13. So everybody who says Judas could have just freely done something other than that has a bit of a problem trying to explain that. And then here we go. And he was saying the imperfect, not the aorist, just a basic statement, but the imperfect. And he was saying, so it's, it's repetitive action in the past, maybe iterative or something like that, but repetitive action in the past. For this reason, I said to you, this is why, you want to know why I said this to you? This reason I said to you, Hati Udai Stunatai Elthine Pras Me. So he's quoting verse 44. It's the exact same wording. No one is able to come to me. Ian May, subjunctive fulfillment clause, unless. Now here you don't have drawing, you don't have Helkuse. You have a dedamenon auto. Ectu patras, unless it has been granted or given to him by the Father. So more than once, knowing that they found this to be hard words. Now think about it for just a second, folks. For most of us, um, if if we're teaching, if I'm if I'm teaching in the church in a context where there could be some pushback and someone says, man, that I don't, I don't get that. That this is really hard. And let's say everybody in the room is going, yeah, I don't, I don't get it at all. Then I'm going to try my best to come up with another way of expressing all this stuff because I've obviously in my stupidity and dullness and everything else haven't explained things properly. But in this instance, Jesus knows their hearts. And so when they say, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? What's the theme in John? John chapter 8, the one, why don't you hear my words? Because you don't belong to God. The one who is of God hears my words. So they say, who can hear it? And Jesus says, yeah, it has to be given to you of the Father. It has to be given to you of the Father. And he doesn't... See, if he wanted to keep these people around as followers who were looking to fill their own bellies, he wouldn't have done this the way he did it. When you, when you have people who are complaining about the difficulty of your teaching, you don't keep repeating, yeah, you're not going to get it unless it's been granted to you of the Father. <laughs> but that's what he does. That's the imperfect, elegant. He, he, he's repeating, no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. That's why I've said so many times before, Jesus started the church shrinkage movement in John chapter 6. Started with 5,000 excited disciples, and by the end of the chapter, well... You see what happens. 
This last verse we'll, we'll cover. Ek tutu. For this reason, not... See, see, our Roman Catholic friends say that the background, that Ek tutu is referring back to 53, the, the paragraph of, uh, of 53 through 58. Because Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which they couldn't have had a clue about if it was actually talking about transubstantiation of the Mass. Anyway. No, Ek tutu takes us back just to the preceding verse. Jesus' repetitive statement, this reason I said to you that no one is able to come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. For this reason, many of his disciples went out to that which is behind. They left, and they were no longer walking with him. They went back to what they were doing. They stopped they decided, you know what? This, we thought maybe we had something here, but nah. He's talking too much about himself. He's talking too much too much about himself. That, that's what they're saying. And they no longer walked with him. You know, you know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story. You're gonna leave, you guys. You're gonna leave too. Who has the words of eternal life? We have believed. You have the words of eternal life. God keeps his own. But even in his keeping of the 12, one of them is the devil to fulfill his purposes. To fulfill his purposes. It's right there. So I hope you don't mind that I took the time to do that. Um, just to sort of walk through the, the text. I, I was trying not to break into some preaching at certain points because I think there is a lot that could be brought out from this idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Let's make one quick application. Um, wow, how do I put this without skewering myself in the process? <laughs> I think if we really had a handle on this, a lot of what's going on in the world today would not be nearly as frightening to us as it is. And here's why. Um, Again, what's, if we're honest ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, what are we most afraid of? We're afraid of losing all of our stuff. We're afraid of losing our houses and our cars and our goodies and our nice clothes and being able to eat whatever we want and do whatever we want whenever we want to do it. It's our stuff. It's the stuff of this world, the stuff that this same John is going to tell us is all passing away. And it is passing away. We all know it. I know it. I'll be 58 soon. And I've said it a million times. God sends you 47,000 warning notes in your own body that you don't have forever coming up in this life. There's something else coming. And so if we were, if, if we look at this, and realize that eating his flesh and drinking his blood means that we are constantly 
that present tense parcel, we are constantly focused upon finding our complete fulfillment in Jesus. If we, anybody who finds Jesus to be enough, totally, can't be touched by this world. Can't be frightened by this world. And so it is a, it is a measure of how little we are looking, believing, eating, drinking, that we're afraid that the world's not going to give us enough to satisfy us when we have an inexhaustible source of complete satisfaction that the world can't touch, but we don't know it because it's not the everyday reality that it's supposed to be. And that is in the same text that defines the drawing of the father that we all get to argue about all the time, but here's application. So like I said, I was fighting the, temptation to preach, but there it is. There it is. I don't know about you, but every time I work through a text like that and see the the interwoven the language and the references and you know, something was back in John 3 comes in, and then there, that's all of a sudden John 5 comes over that. It's just so far beyond what most people ever think of the text. They, they, they just don't see. And, and I, I understand why. The Bible tells us why. We understand why. But as believers, we should, we should be entering into that all the time. And it's just always there for us. And it's almost like we become too accustomed to it. So anyway, there you go. I told you I would get to the biblical material. And in fact, looking at the clock, I think uh, we did more time in the Bible today than we did talking about COVID. <laughs> Not by much, but we did. So I, I hope you, uh, found that to be useful and helpful and lord willing we will uh thursday morning is that could be all right thursday morning uh because thursday afternoon i'm going to be recording a sweater vest dialogue now this is gonna be rough because i'm gonna have to record it at home and I have to record in the hottest room in my house and I'm still going to have a sweater vest on. I'm, I'm going to look like that's that, that GIF from the airplane, you know, from the airplane movie, uh, with the water just flowing all over me. <laughs> so Doug Wilson and I are doing a sweater vest dialogue on uh, Thursday, which means it'll probably either drop over the weekend or, or sometimes Monday depends. Um, and we're going to be talking about God's law. And so, yeah, we're going to be talking about things like theonomy and stuff like that. Ah! Uh, but yeah, that's what we're going to be doing on Thursday afternoon. So Thursday morning, we'll do the program here live. And by the way, quick announcement. We are hoping 
uh, that um, not next week, but the beginning of the week after that. Um, and I forgot to switch my calendar over there. But that we will have full streaming capacity available once again. Scotty has been working on changing the dilithium crystals. Unfortunately, Scotty ordered them uh, snail mail. <laughs> and so we're, we're doing our best to get them installed. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be back to uh, normal uh, before, before long. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. God bless.